First family, isn't it good that we can laugh at God's goodness and say, thank you, God, for the gift of laughter. Hey, what a joy it is to be together this morning. Did you enjoy walking into the rain and the mist? And may God continue to bring it to us. And it causes me to think about my friend Barry Simpson. Barry emailed several of us that are in a men's group, and he said, I want you to take up a practice, and I want to invite you to join us in this. We'll expand it beyond men. And I didn't ask Barry's permission, but I don't think he'll mind. His challenge to us was to make a list of 100 things that we're grateful for. 100 things that you can thank God for. I want to invite you to take that up with me over the next several days. And the reason that Barry was challenging that way and the reason that I'm challenging you is it causes us to expand our thinking. Now the first few are easy. Our salvation, our family, the future that Christ has planned for us, the promise of new life, and, and those kind of things, that, that comes easy. But when you have to dig down deeper and really begin to evaluate and really begin to think about what is it that I should be thankful for, you find other things, like this suit coat that I'm wearing. This, if you've known me long at all, you know this is one of my favorites. I wear it all the time, not the least of which because it has my favorite button on it, my DBU button that I love that was given to me by a dear friend. But it causes me to be grateful that I have this silly thing. And here's why. I like the way it fits. But you know what? It has a problem. See, when I straighten my sleeve out, I realize this, this coat is too short or my shirt is too long. Which is it? I don't know, but I'm adding it to the list to be grateful for a shirt that is too long. If you know anything about buying clothes for tall people, you know they don't sell them in normal sizes like mine. If they did, every shirt would fit me properly. But they don't, and yet I can still be thankful for it. Here's something else to be thankful for. I bet you came here in a vehicle. Put that on the list too. I bet some of you even drove down a section of Garfield Street that is open today. <laughs> There's something else to add to the list. I bet some of you went to the grocery store in the last few days and didn't have to get run over trying to get in or out of the parking lot. There's something else to be grateful for. What I'm trying to expand your mind and heart to think about is how many ways can I think about how God has been good to me? How many ways can I reflect on God's grace? And how many ways can I say thank you to him for that? Let's just take time to do that right now. Pray with me, won't you? It is good, Lord, to be together today in your house with your people. And we remember, Lord, that you've made us to be a family. There's something else we can put on the list. I pray, Father, for my list that it would not be something that I just take up in November, but that I'll think about it in March, in June, in August, and I'll practice Thanksgiving all year long as I remember just how blessed I really am. I pray today, Father, that you would meet with us in this time of worship as you already have. And that you would use this time to remind us, Lord, of the great gift you've given us in grace. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to read from today. One of my most favorite books. Here's a reason why. Ephesians was written to people who didn't know anything about it, what it means to be a Christian. They were complete pagans. And the Apostle Paul writes to them to say, here's what it means to be a believer in Christ. Here's what grace means. Here's what mercy means. Here's who you are in Christ. And here's what you are to do about it. Each of those come in turn in the, the book that we read. And that's why I've chosen today to talk about the art of gratitude, grateful for God's grace in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 49. If you're able, let's stand together and read the word of the Lord. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one would boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, Thanksgiving week is finally here. We'll have parades, we'll have football games, and of course, feasts. But before we get to that, I want us to talk about our greatest blessing, God's grace given to us through his mercy. Let's start here. Because of God's great mercy, God loves us. See it in verse 4 again, would you? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, this, friends, is the core essence of who God is. He is a lover. He is one who seeks the target of his love. And here's good news. Are you ready? You are the target of his affection. I want you to think with me about that for a second. Maybe you're not used to being the one that God is seeking out. Maybe you're not used to being the one that anybody seeks out. I want to tell you today, God came looking for you. His mercy caused him to desire you. His mercy, love, and grace are who he is. He can't be anything else. And because he is love by very definition, so says 1 John 4, it is no problem for him to set his affection on you. Now, I know that if you're like many, and maybe even me sometimes, I look at myself and I say, well, God doesn't really know me that well if he loves me that much. Surely he has better people, more interesting people to love than me. I want you to jump down, if you would be so kind, to verse 10, if that's what you're saying. Jump down to verse 10 and see it. For we are God's workmanship, crafted by God, shaped and molded according to his plan and his desires. 
Don't worry, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But for now, I want you to see God loves you because he made you to love. It was his desire to love you. And that's what brings him to you today. His mercy, grace, and love are what I most desperately needed. These things that he's showered upon us are just what I needed, but I could never ask for it. I could never deserve it. I could never earn it. Our own brokenness and sinfulness have caused us to be in a bad way. Got a great reminder of that on Friday of this week. I took my son out to Dairy Queen, and we were having our ice cream and enjoying it quite a lot. And this gentleman walked up, and he said, hey, um, I was wondering if you might be willing to help me. My car won't start. Would you just pull your truck over and jump me off? Now, if I had said no, that man would probably still be sitting there. You reckon? Well, of course not. Somebody would have come along and helped him. But it could it be that God sent us to Dairy Queen, not just to have blizzards, although God blessed them too, but to help that man that God put me in just the right place to help this gentleman. Now, I don't know who he is. I don't know where he went. I don't know where he came from. But I know this. For that moment in time, God gave me a truck to jump him off. It caused me to think about a hospital visit I made not long ago. You know, sometimes, pastors, we go to the hospital and we get the wrong room number. This happens. And knocked on the door and... I opened the door and I was like, this is not who I thought I was coming to see. And yet, as soon as the, the patient saw me, he smiled broadly and said, come in, pastor, come in. Now, what are you supposed to do then? No, I'm sorry, I didn't come to see you. <laughs> Turn around and walk out? Of course I went in. This, friends, is an example of a divine appointment. God's mercy, grace, and love compel us to show that even though we can't earn or deserve it ourselves. It's natural to say, I'm wounded, I'm incapacitated, I'm beyond fixing myself, and Jesus knew that when he came. But that's why he came, to give me new life, to make me alive in Christ through grace. Grace is the flip side of mercy. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Grace is getting what I don't. And that, friends, is the best news of all. That's what we'll start celebrating next Sunday. Next Sunday starts Advent. Can you believe that? Here we are at the end of the year already. When you come back next week, there will be an Advent wreath on one side of the platform or the other. And we'll start lighting those candles and we'll start reminding ourselves of the truths that we we, we love so much every year. But before we get to them, let's anchor ourselves to this one. Because of God's work on my behalf, I've been raised, and that was Christ's mission. He came for me. Now you might say, that's terribly arrogant, Darren. No, it's an honest reflection of theology. See it in verse 6, won't you? And God raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
read it this way. When I was at my lowest, God raised me up. Now, we're not entirely sure what this raising business means. Did he mean just a future one? Like when I die and I'm resurrected? Did he raise me up spiritually only, or is this something about my body being raised too? Is it some combination? Well, I want to tell you, friends, the Bible doesn't say exactly, but I know this, God knows, and that's the only important part. And why? Because he's the one doing the raising, all right? You don't have to understand it all to be able to say, thank you, God, for doing it anyway. In my mind, I think of it like this baseball. Go back with me to about 1975. My mother knew her son was a baseball addle fool and still is. She saved some box tops and ordered a baseball signed by the 1975 Texas Rangers. Now, if you know anything about the Rangers, you know that was not a good year for them. Unlike this one, there's something you could put on your list. Texas Rangers world champion. Let's just put that on the list today. I started to wear my hat today, but I decided that was in poor taste. So she saved these box tops and she bought this baseball for me. And you know what? I treasured that baseball when I got it. I treasured it and put it in a safe place so it wouldn't get played with and have kept it. If you come to my house today, then you'll find it on a shelf still in, in the office in my home. And why is it where it is? Because I raised it up. I raised it up. You see what I'm saying? I raised it up and I put it where nobody would fool with it because I have a son and I was concerned that he might see that baseball as just any other baseball and take it outside and let the dog chew on it and let it be hit by bats and stuff. That's not that kind of baseball. You know what I'm saying? It's a special one. So what did I do? I raised it up. And this is what God has done for you. He raised you up. He put you somewhere high, special, where he can see you, he can reach you, because he wants you well kept. And maybe you don't feel very well kept. Well, I want to tell you, sometimes your feelings will lead you wrong. Don't let yourself get trapped into that emotional thing. Because here's the thing, when I was at my worst, God seated me next to him. He raised me up and he gave me a seat next to him. This was his invitation. This was his doing. My response in faith is just a, a reaction. That's why I love that song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It calls for an action. But understand that deciding to follow Jesus is a response to what he's already done. It was his doing. And he raised me up. And he gave me a place to sit right next to him. And when I sit in that place, I see things differently. Got a couple of pictures that I want to show you. Take a look at this first one here. This is a picture from the top of Mount Everest. Isn't that unbelievable? <coughs> What's shocking to me is that people are still coming, apparently, to get up there. This is more than 29,000 feet in the air. Now, you can see the horizon a long way off. I don't know what direction they're facing, but that's got to be like the, the Pacific Ocean or something. I mean, it's a long way out to the horizon. Can I tell you today, my friends, you see things differently from this altitude. And if you are raised up to it, then you know that. Here's another picture I want you to see. 
this is maybe a little closer to home. This is a view that I took from the Washington Monument on a, a trip not so long ago. It's looking down toward the Lincoln Memorial and the World War II Memorial between us, and then the, 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 the Tidal Basin off to the left and, and the Potomac behind them. I love this picture because you see things differently as a result of being up high as opposed to when you're just walking around down low. Now, down low, you can see things more intricately, but from up high, you can see a lot further. The perspective is one that is one you enjoy. Now, another time I was up here, I was looking down, and I could see the shadow of the monument, and I saw people walking toward the shadow, and I was like, don't do it. Don't walk into the shadows. You might say, well, that's silly, but it was, I was thinking about, you know, they don't know maybe how long that shadow is. And some of them did something crazy. They actually stopped in the shadow. You might say, well, maybe it was hot, Darren, and it was. But the reason that I say that is because sometimes we don't know how long the shadow is either. But God does because he's up high enough to see it. And he knows that he's going to walk with us not only up high, but down low too. I want you to grab this because a lot of times we think of ourselves as these wretches that God has, has simply been good enough to give us a future in heaven. That's true. But we're not wretches anymore. We're saints raised up by the mercy of Christ. And get verse 7, to receive the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is what God has done for us. He's given us something we could never earn. And he's given us a new name. It's his. We get to walk with Jesus now. That brings us to the last few verses we've got time for today. Because of God's grace, my faith is not in vain. My response then is the next portion, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You see, faith is more than an intellectual assent. We think of it as all in our heads, and, and there's some truth to that, but it was, it's much more than that. It's a relational connection between God and humanity. It's a deliberate response to God for his amazing grace. It's a pledge of faithfulness, fealty, trust. It causes me to act on that. My faith leads me to action. My actions don't demonstrate my, they don't get me salvation. They reflect my salvation. I demonstrate faith by showing I believe it. I believe it because it's proven to be believable. The core of it is a relational connection between God and man. And here's the difference between where we are and where I think God wants us to be. A lot of people think religion is what God wants, that God just wants us to do his stuff, keep his rules, and everything will be okay for us. We don't have to actually engage in that. We just have to do his stuff. No, don't get trapped in that, friends. Here's the thing about Christmas, especially. Jesus came to enter into a relationship with you, a relationship that binds your heart to his. That's why he came. 
He didn't come to invent a religion. He came to build a relationship. And I want you to recognize that. And to do that, he brought us a gift. See verse 8 at the very end of it. I want you to underline it if you haven't already done so. It is the gift of God. Let's be clear. A gift must be accepted for it to be a gift. Now, if you're like us, you've already started Christmas shopping. There are some things that I've already bought for my family, and I am a person who loves to give gifts. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that I, that I really love to do. And so these things that I already have that are for my family, they are absolutely burning a hole in my pocket. But the concept of gift is not enough. It doesn't become a gift just because I buy it and store it away from them. It becomes a gift when I actually give it to them. It becomes a gift, get this, when they actually receive it. This is what God wants for us to do. And this gift is not something we can earn. See verse 9 as well. It's not something that I can demand of God. It is something that is granted to me because of his grace. And that brings us back to verse 10 where I said we would end today. Because of God's plan, I'm shaped according to his design. Hear verse 10 one more time. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I want you to walk away with a couple of things today. These are the things I want you to take home. One, a declaration. I am God's creation. This is the declaration I want you to make. I'm God's creation. It means that God, in his wisdom, made me just like he wants me to be. As weird and funky as that may be to everybody else, it is God's workmanship. It is his handiwork shaping me, molding me in every conceivable way simply because he longed to do it. And when did he do this workmanship? See it in the middle of the verse. Beforehand. Well, when is beforehand? Now, we don't really know when beforehand is because God doesn't specify it, but we can say this for sure. If we tie chapter 1 to chapter 2, it's before the foundations of the world were laid. So go back as far as your mind can travel into eternity past, and here's what you'll find. God's work expressed through me before I was born. This, friends, is the measure of God's grace. It didn't start with the arrival of Jesus. It didn't start because Jesus was born. It didn't start when creation occurred. It didn't start when he set all these things in motion. It started in the heart of God long before I was born. And that, friends, invites me to invite you. Maybe when we started this talk and I said something about adding our salvation to the list as the first thing, some of you may have said, well, well, what does that even mean? If you've never encountered Christ in a personal way, you've just held him off as, well, I'm doing all these religious things, God. That ought to be good enough for you. Then today, understand that Jesus stands with his arms open wide saying, come to me, all who are weary and who are heavy burdened. Those who are broken down, come to me and I'll give you rest. Matthew 11 has never seemed more apropos, has it? 
I encourage you today, friends, if you've never encountered Jesus in a personal way, then here's what I want you to do. This is the day God has given you to do it. We're going to stand and we're going to sing in just a second. And when we do, you leave your seat and come meet me right down here. And maybe you've already done that and that's a long time ago and you need to be baptized to let everybody else know what's happened in your life. Then today is your day to declare God's goodness by being baptized. Come and talk with me about what that means too. Maybe you need to come to this altar and thank God for the goodness that he's already shown to you. Today is your day to do that. This is the day of decision. What will you do with it? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you today for the goodness that you have shown to us, for the mercy you've poured out upon us, for the grace that you give so freely, and for the opportunity to understand it in a whole new way. I pray today, Lord Jesus, for those who are wounded, who are struggling, who are hurting, that don't know the hope and grace that you can provide. I pray that today would be the day you would reveal it to them. And let today be the day, Lord, they can add their salvation to the top of their thanksgiving list. Let this day be the one where you pull back the curtain on your grace and you pull back the scales on our eyes and you break down the walls that we've built up around our hearts that we might respond to you, Lord Jesus. Let today be that day, Lord. We love you and we thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's your chance to respond, friends. This is the day God has given you to make a decision. Use it wisely. Stand and sing with me as you come. Thank you.